What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? And thank you very much for tuning into the drop in. I'll tell you what, this last couple weeks has been out of freaking control. It has been out of control. I put a post up on social media a few weeks ago and I wanted to talk to people about their sobriety. As you know, as I'm very open about, I, I've been sober five and a half years. It has been an amazing five and a half years. The people I have met. Uh, my normal friends are awesome. They are still, still my great friends, but I have met some of the most amazing folks in sobriety. So over the next, actually, we're working on booking all the way to the end of the year. So we are in what, the end of July right now, I think we're not in August yet. And all the way to the end of the year, you're going to hear so many different people's stories, different demographics, different age groups come in and talk about their journey to sobriety so make sure to like share this stuff send it to anybody you think can help them because that's the goal of all these shows is to let people know there is hope and when i put the message out one of the very first people who reached out to me is my friend bill he was like dude the last three years have been crazy i'd love to come back on and talk about it and him and i have spoke I mean, for, for years now about our personal journeys, and it's a blessing to have you in st studio to share it with our drop-in audience. So thank you, Bill. Thank you so much for reaching out, and thank you for being here today, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. How was the drive-in, dude? Traffic drive -in. is crazy. It, it, it is, and, and um, it seems like uh, it's getting worse and worse. But uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, yeah, as soon as I seen you put that up, I was, I'm, I'm in. Because there's so many, you know, I, I I don't know. I watch your. It's like sometimes I'm like that. I'm a little bit of a, you know. I don't. I know we don't like have a lot of in-depth conversation, but I'm always watching. And yeah. I, you know, I I, I I see a lot of your posts, a lot of spirituality, and a lot of times that's what I need. I need that that spirituality because um, I don't know. I mean, you know, sobriety is is. Um, I'm not a very religious person, but spirituality I picked up. You know, I, I hold on to that. Um, and I guess I kind of describe that as like, you know, I do have my higher power, and it's not that I have anything against God; it's more the fan club, mm -hmm. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I'm, I'm watching these levels up here. Could you slide your mic just a little closer, and make sure we get every word? Perfect, that, perfect, that. perfect. Yeah. Um, you know, you're exactly right. You know, uh, sobriety gave me so much. Um, I mean, I fell in love with myself. When you get over something that you do for you, something you know is going to kill you, which I did, when you find a new path, the, uh, if you're an AA person, if you're a, a refuge recovery person, whatever path that is, because it's not one size fits all. You know, you find your way, and I do believe, regardless of your thoughts on God, I believe spirituality is a very important part of that. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. So let's take a look at this because, um, you know, the outline that I sent you is, was really loose. And I tried to put it with very open-ended questions because we haven't talked about any of this stuff. So I'm going to be learning as you guys are learning uh, how, how uh, the last three years have been in, in Bill's life. And also we're going to learn a little more. So, you know, um, over the last several, several months um, or the last several weeks, like I said in the opening, I reached out to sober people. You were one of the first people to come on uh, to reach back. Um, as your so well, one, I'll give you a three part, two part question. When did your sober journey start and begin? And two, was there one particular incident that that just put you in that space to say, "I got, I have to do whatever I have to do to to not be in this position again." Well, I mean, the journey began in, um, actually when I was 16 is when it began. Um, and I actually, um, went to Maple Grove, which is right out there by where I live now, ironically. Um, so at 16 was my first, when I was first introduced to the program, I was in an inpatient rehab. Um, but it just, it didn't stick. It wasn't, you know, I was doing what I had to do to stay in my house. Um. It really, it, you know, I got sober December, December 20th, um, 2004. The crazy thing is, is July, I think it was like July 30th, 2004. I got, I'd gotten my fourth DWI. And um, the only thing I think that saved me from prison was that that fourth DWI was in Texas. 
Now, I did look up. Of course, you know, I was on the Internet looking up. Can can Texas pull them? Right, right, right. Because it was three can, strikes, you're out, right? Yeah. Can they pull these Can they pull these DWIs from other, from other states and use it against me? And they could if they wanted to. If they wanted to, they could because they were all within 10 years. And so I could have done six to eight years in prison. And, I, I mean, daily, daily I was checking to see on the county website, you know, uh, had they changed my charges. Never, my charges never changed, so it was it was still a first offense, and um, so I still I still drank I still drank for another I'm gonna say well until December twentieth you know I mean even that was not enough even the uh, the thought of going to prison and and all that other stuff was not enough to stop the urges and the the chaos and um, it was it was it was funny because I actually came back here to visit family and friends. Um, thinking I was going to prison, so I was like, "I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna go see my family because my court, my court was like first week in January." So I came back here and I was gonna visit everybody for Christmas, get to see everybody because I thought for sure I was, I was going to jail, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I was downtown. I can't even remember the name of the bar, but I was, w- I know, I, I, I was with some of the people I skated with. I was with some of my, you know, some of my punk hardcore friends. My brother was there, and. At some point during that night, the alcohol quit working. I couldn't get I, I couldn't get any drunker, you know. So then I moved on to some coke, you know. I, I, I wanted anything that was going to change the way I felt, mm-hmm. and it all quit working. I couldn't I couldn't get nothing. It was almost like divine intervention because you know I, I was hopping from thing to thing to thing, and I did nothing was making me feel any different. Nothing was filling that hole, and I literally spent the next three days basement curled up on the couch terrified because I, I no longer had that defense you know and so it, it was nothing by my choosing it was more like this divine spiritual intervention that happened and um that's you know that's what set into motion my sobriety because i still hadn't grasped any of the spiritualism i still hadn't grasped the fact that the drugs and the alcohol were a very minute part of what was happening I had a living problem. I didn't know how to live, you know, and so I would, I would mask everything, and and you know, drugs, alcohol, and the more sobriety I obtained, you know, it was I started to realize all these things about myself, like I was very introverted, whereas when I was drinking and doing drugs, I was the life of the party, you know. What I mean, I had no problem talking to people in general, not just women, just in general, you know what I mean. Where skateboarding in my younger years, skateboarding gave me that. You know, it was a way for me to fit in. You know, it, it because I played every sport imaginable. I played football, baseball, you name it. You know, my and, and it, I never felt like a fit. So then, the, then there was still that social awkwardness of trying to fit in with all these, you know, future prodigies or <laughs> or parents trying to make prodigies out of their children. So I picked a. You know, that's when I I think I w- it was 1987. I got my first skateboard. And uh, it was a Nash. It had like the, the saw blades. Yeah, <laughs> yep. I think all of us in the, at, at least in the Midwest, in, in the Midwest, it was like you had like Nash, whatever Kmart or or Toys R Us was carrying, which was uh, your your beginner board was going to be a Veriflex Nash or something. Basically, like three quarter inch plywood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Like, cut like cut like a rocket, a rocket shape. But we loved them. We loved them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. It wasn't really, um, it was definitely nothing of, of my choosing. You know, if I had it my way, um, I, would, I, I would, you know, who knows, I'd probably still be drinking. Mm-hmm. But um, some divine intervention in, in uh, things at play. And, uh, you know, here I am today, and it's, I, I, I can't. Some days it's hard to express, you know, the amount of gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> even on my worst days you know um and i think another another thing I, when i re- when i read that when you when you sent, sent the questions one thing that popped in my head was this one day i was with my friend with one of my friends um and we, we had gone to this party and he's like you know uh do you need to ride home and i'm like yeah do you want to give me a ride home and he's like where do you live he said, I, I said you know just it, I, I live off e-course so we got the e-course and where it was was Actually, like uh, E-Course and Monroe's, there used to be that, remember that old ab- 
abandoned McDonald's. Mm-hmm. They went out of business. We we took it over to the skate park. Well, there was a Taco Bell a block over, and that's where I lived. And they abandoned Taco Bell. Wow. I was homeless at like 16. Wow. Who else lived over there? Kevin O'Rourke. Yeah, Kevin O'Rourke. Uh, Phil. Nickerson. Nickerson, yeah. Uh, Dalio, all them guys. I yeah. Think, you know, that's, and that's who I grew uh, John Russell. I grew up skating with all them guys. You know, Devin, Devin Fry. Ironically, Devin still keeps tabs uh, through social media on yeah, me. Sometimes yeah, I'll absolutely. see Devin from Detroit, you know, like yep. comment on some stuff. It's cool. And, and I, yeah, I uh, came up skating with all them guys. Yeah. You know, and so it was just, um, you know, it, it, it's like looking back on things, things like that and all the things I survived and then, you know, all the things that, you know, sometimes I look back and it's like that recollection, like things that you don't even remember. Like will pop in your head, I'm like, oh my god, I forgot about that. Right. You know, like all the all, all of this absolute chaos and everything I endured. But back then, I, back then I just I didn't have the mental capability to even begin to understand that you know everything that was happening to me was my fault. You know, yeah. that the living problem was was that I was always justifying my behavior by somebody else's behavior. You know, like. Had my parents given me more hugs, had they done this, had they done that, instead of just saying, no matter what my parents are doing, had I just went to school and did what was, you know, because you hear that all the time, you know, two kids growing up in the same home, one goes to prison, one's a lawyer, right, you know, or one's a doctor, you know what I mean? So, I mean, on the other side of that coin, the most enlightening day of my sobriety, probably still to date, was the, the minute, the moment working with a sponsor that I was introduced to the fact that I'm not a victim, you know, that if I trace anything that happened in my life far enough back, I'm going to see where I made the decisions that led to all the other decisions right, right. and all the other occurrences had, you know, I, it was, and, and it's so far back in the wreckage that you don't even see it. You know what I mean? And all this while you're playing the victim, which then perpetuates all the chaos in your life. And justifies it. As exactly. you continue, it justifies that. I'm the victim. Yeah. You know? Yep. I deserve so. this for whatever reason. Good, bad, yeah, or indifferent. Yeah. You know, I need to check out right now. And, uh, and you know, as you're talking, like, so much is going through my head. But we never really know what it is going to be that, uh, you know, if it's, you know, some people get it at a meeting. Some people get it their first yeah. rehab they yeah. go through. Some people, you know, and people often ask me, they're like, what What was it that that got you sober? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. It was one day, February 2nd, 2017. I had already been through three rehabs, an insane asylum, what, you know, frick it, you know. Dual, dual diagnosis. Where yeah. You know, I was getting treated for substance abuse and mental issues right you know. and well, I, I mean diagnosed everything you get the sociopath uh, <laughs> bipolar you name it you know what I mean? yeah and, it, and when you get to the real you who you really are when you start for me it was when i when i, I brought it up earlier when i when i fell in love with myself yeah. in a very healthy spiritual kind of way everything about my life changed everything from the way i looked at past things to the where i was at um when people do ask me, what was it? I'm like, I don't know. I walked in, looked in the mirror, and I'm like, either we're going to die right now yeah. or you're going to do whatever it takes to dig yourself out of this hole. I don't know. Divine intervention. Exactly. Because be. I don't know what it was. I, 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 I couldn't begin it. I know it had nothing to do with me. Right. You know, right. It was no decision I was trying to make. Right. You know, and, and one of the, uh, the, the big, I was actually talking to my wife about this today because um, we were kind of talking about, you know, because we're, 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 we're so, we're the same person and different skin, you know, and, and in the beginning, you know, we were like, man, this is going to be a curse or it's going to be a blessing. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, it's ended up being a, a complete blessing. And, um, but all the times we talk about being accountable, you know, I need to be accountable to my employer. I need to be accountable to my family. I need to be accountable to my friends, but we never, ever talk about being accountable care of ourselves being accountable to my happiness being accountable to the things that bring and enrich my life you know being accountable to myself by saying you know look you got that crazy thought in your head 
you know, it's almost like, you know, you're my friend, and you're talking about doing some crazy stuff, but I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to say, look, I mean, this is what I'm seeing, and, and then, you know, you do what you want with it. But at the se- we don't do that to – how many times do we do that to ourselves? Like, look, man, you're getting that crazy thinking, and you know what you need to do. You need to call somebody. You need to do something. You need to do your own inner work there mm-hmm. instead of, you know, you, you, you know, where we start working mentally and spiritually proactively instead of damage control. Because my whole life was damage control. And then I had to calculate the collateral damage that I was going to cause with my actions. Mm-hmm. Where today it's it's very minimal, and if if there is any collateral damage, I'm very quick to you know do my part to clean it up. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. back then I know for me, yeah, I would think about you know yeah, I might lose my job if I don't show up tomorrow. Ah, who cares? Because I was probably still either drunk or hungover from the day before because I used to drink so much, yeah. and I'm like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and hats off to all the people that go to work with hangovers and all that. Because I was just like, why? Yeah. Why? why? I would I would already st- <laughs> I would already start. I would wake up with a hangover, and if there was a half a bottle of vodka next to me, I'd already take the first drink, and then I'd go, yeah. Anything going on at work today? No. All right, I won't be in again. You know, like, yeah. and I was the boss at the time. Like I was supervising people, and I just became very undependable and. um and I'm very thankful to this day that many of those people are still my friends and saw that it was yeah. a, a tough time I was going through. And that's the way I chose to deal with it. Not always the best way, not ever the best way. But, um, you know, it's just uh, where I'm, I'm thankful that uh, whatever it was, whatever power uh, stepped into you your know, life and said, this ain't working anymore, man. <laughs> the, reality, the reality is for people like, like us is it's probably better we don't know. Yeah, yeah. Because if we knew our, that, 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 you know, it, and I tell everybody, it's almost like I was committing, you know, first-degree premeditated murder against myself because I knew. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you what was going to happen when I drank, but I, I knew that if I drank, you know, so it was almost like I was, you know, you know committing that, that. And so I, I think a lot of times, you know, and a lot of people will say that to me, you know, you, you, I don't think you really have any idea how you impact people's lives. I'm like, you know, you're probably right because if I did, you know, that that narcissist in my head, that it would go to my head. Right. So it's probably better that I don't know. It's probably better that sometimes I'll get a brief glimpse of how we, you know, my, my life is impacting so that somebody else's in a positive way, mm-hmm. because then it keeps me humble. Yep. You know? And I think humility is huge. It's huge, and I think it comes naturally as far as so many people that I've met in the recovery community. Humility is, is part of their, their person, who they are today. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's interesting if you are at a meeting or somewhere and somebody is, is a total, like, egotistical kind of person – most people are turned off by that yeah. at a meeting. They don't yeah. want to hear a, a horror story for you. <laughs> exactly. you know, they're almost gloating. My at, whole life was a horror story. Yeah, like we've all heard it, you know. And even when I started laying out these shows, I'm like, it's not going to be an hour of horror stories. That's not what I'm shooting for. We've all have them. Yeah. And, and you can watch them on the news. You can see them on reality TV. You know what happens. I want to I wanna focus on on uh, the hope, that there is hope. I mean, you're, you're listening – to Bill, talk about this, I mean, not just like a two-year period or a three-year period. This is a battle that lasted for a while. And to have something, uh, whatever it is, come into his life and say, you know what, there's there's bigger things you need to accomplish. And I think one of those things that was it, it's been waiting for you for decades is your wife because you're doing magic in her life, and I think you guys are together. I see it on, on when you're together and what, you're, what you post up. She's battling some things we're going to talk about a little later, um, and, and I think that's why you were put on this planet. And to shoot some amazing photography, I, I want to bring up your photography because the, the pictures that you post, and, and I'll have – make sure to follow Bill underneath here. You'll see his social media links and all that kind of stuff because – the pictures that you shoot at hardcore shows, the pictures that you – those pictures have so much raw energy in them. 
that 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 captures that you get because you're in it. You're in the mix. You're not yeah. standing back here. No. You're not standing no. over here shooting with a long lens. You are in it. it. I could. I call it full contact photography. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. And it shows in the I've, images. Yeah, I've gone home with knots. And, and, you know, I've, I've learned my lessons as far as, like, you know, um, like my external flash, stuff like that. I'll get I'll get a cheaper external flash so I don't lose another $500 external flash. Right. I might pay, like, 100 bucks for it or something. But, yeah, I mean, I want to be in the mix. I want to be in the intensity. And, and, and a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people, you say that to me. Don't you feel like, you know, why don't you put the camera down and become a part of the show? I'm like, you don't think I'm a part of the show? Right. I'm, I'm in the mix. I'm not standing, you know, up in the balcony. I'm, I'm in the mix. And yeah. I'm hearing the music, but I'm seeing it in a totally different way. I'm experiencing it in a totally different way. And, and, and believe me, I'm, I'm, I, I, I think that I'm actually getting more. It's, it, it's a more intense uh, pull because now I'm observing the crowd band the music different elements whereas before you know i'm out in the mosh pit and and i might be locked down only one thing mm-hmm. and it's the guitar or the drums or the vocals or worrying about getting my head bashed in you know what i mean well now you know i, I and, and that's the thing too is there's a lot of people that you know respect what i do meaning there's people that have actually saved me more than once like like i'm about to get blindsided and i like out of my peripheral, see you know, like someone like intervene, you know. So, but yeah, I mean, and that's what I, I kind of laugh about that. You know, I, I call it the full contact photography. Yeah. Well, I love the energy, and 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 when you guys look, when you check out his photos, you'll see what I'm talking about because they're different. They are different than the other shots you see from back. You know, the kind of stuff I shoot, which is with my phone from about a hundred feet away, and I zoom in and take a picture of the band on stage. That's not Bill's photography. We're talking in, in the middle of the pit. with it's, it's awesome. So make sure to check it out. And, and one other thing I thought that was really rad, and we discussed it, I don't know, about a year ago. You come out to shoot some skating stuff, and you talked about being a, a little bit of an introvert, but being behind that lens does something for you. And I thought that was a really rad way to look at it. Yeah, and, and so especially like when, I got, when I got sober, and the longer I stayed sober and the further I got away from, you know, um, the drugs and the alcohol, I started to, you know, experience and, and become acquainted with, like, the, all the anxiety. The, I, my, my social anxiety, my social awkwardness. And, and you know what, man? I probably am bipolar. All those things I said, I don't, I don't know. But I picked the camera back up because there was a period in between, you know, where it got to the point where not even that, nothing, 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 everything got pushed to the side. Family, friends, art, everything, music, everything, nothing mattered anymore. It was all about drugs and alcohol. And I, 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 f- I found that, you know, picking that camera back up, it, it focuses my world. It takes all the chaos and now, I'm, now it shrinks it through that lens. And I'm able to see and enjoy and experience everything because now the focus has changed. Where if, if, if I was just sitting there, I mean, I, I would hear, you know, it's almost like something out of a movie where you start hearing everybody's conversation and this guy's keys and, you know, you get this like heightened sense and it makes you crazy, you know. So my camera is what allows me to exist in, in, in a lot of different, you know, uh, areas and venues in my life. Yeah, I, I, I think it's brilliant. Take notes. Make sure you're taking notes on all this stuff because these – these little snippets, these little tidbits could help you or somebody you love. Maybe maybe picking up a camera, maybe picking up a focus, maybe whatever it is, finding something you're passionate about. And uh, I know it's helped me, especially, you know, Alice Cooper is, I think, one of the greatest examples because when he got sober, he turned his almost like traded his addiction to drugs and alcohol to golf. People don't know he's like a scratch golfer. Dude can play on the pro-am and stuff. Alice Cooper. And sometimes that's what it takes, like like yeah. focusing that energy of chasing it to something a little more positive. Yeah, and even like um, when I was still in Texas, um, when I, uh, I kind of was getting acquainted with the surfing community, um, there's a woman I met, and she um, worked for a nonprofit that dealt with um, PTSD veterans. 
And so she kind of started, you know, picking up all my photography, all the surf, shop shot, surf shots I was getting. And so I started talking to her, and it, it kind of bummed me out because of, but we were going to get together and formulate a program where some of these soldiers could start, you know, working through some of that PTSD and some of the things they were experiencing through photography. Yeah. Because I was like, no, I, I mean, I wasn't a soldier, but, I mean, I guarantee that I, w- I could relate to these guys on a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. Violence, things I had endured throughout my life, and just, you know, that social anxiety. So, Definitely. And Definitely. I back here, so it just kind of... Yeah, we still got a lot of, lot of yeah. days. We got a lot yeah. of days, but I think that's a brilliant idea. You know, um, we've seen it in the news the last three years. The, I mean, alcoholism's up, overdoses up. I mean, people have been closed off. They've been uh, detached from from just that common consciousness, yeah. that community. Uh, how has the last three years, have you, have you had um, that uh, that loneliness that uh, to ever feel the need to pick up again over these last few years? I can't remember the last time that I've ever, I can't remember the last time I thought taking a drink, you know, was going to fix anything or that, uh, I can't remember the last time I had a really strong urge to use or pick up. But for me, it's a little bit different. There's a little bit different process. For me, it starts with my behavior. Like I'll start seeing trends or patterns in my behavior that are going to lead me back to the drinking. You know, so I start to become despondent. I start to become isolative. Um, I start to um, get short with people. You know what I mean? So there's little triggers I see because for me, it's almost like there's that premeditation that I don't see happening. You know what I mean? And that's when I need to, like we talked about, that's when I need to be accountable with myself. But I also need people in my life that aren't afraid to tell me the truth. Right. You know what I mean? I need, to, I need people in my life that aren't afraid to hurt my feelings. You know, and... Um, Those are some of the best friends. Absolutely. Some of the best friends. Absolutely. I have one that lives a block away from me, and I'd say he's sort of a jerk, but he's, he's one of my best friends because he'll tell me. He was telling me when I was drinking, you know, and, and uh, I, um, some of the best people you can I, have in your life are the tough ones. I, uh, I started uh, therapy again. You know, I mean, that was another thing. You know, I, one, of the, one of the most foreign concepts to not only my sobriety, but just living in general, being, being a, you know, being a, a man, was that I had to surrender to women. I had no quit in me. You know, so the whole the, the whole concept of surrendering to anything was such a foreign concept to me but it's like i do i have to i don't have the luxury i don't have the luxury of holding on to resentment i don't have the luxury of holding on to you know hate things like that because that's that's poison it's Mm -hmm. poison it's poisoning me if you do something to upset me and i'm resentful at you it's like me drinking the drano thinking it's gonna hurt you right you know and it's not it's it, it tears us up from the inside out, you know, and, and then we're, we're so full of this negative energy and all this, you know, hate and resentment, and we end up, that's when, that's when I'm going to end up picking back up, or I'm going to end up doing, you know, living out, playing out some, some behavior that's going to lead me back to drinking, mm-hmm. you know, something so big and so, you know, wrong that, that, that I'm, that's when I'm like, now I have no recourse but to go back to drinking and drinking. For me, it's overwhelm, yeah. like I used to, because I was a, I still am, I'm getting better at it, but I was very much a yes man. Even if I yes. didn't want to do it, I, I'd tell them yes. They'd be like, Gerald, can you draw this tattoo? Yes. Can you be here? Yes. Can you do this? Yes. Because I didn't want to let anybody down. Exactly. And then I'd go and do these really cool things, and I'd be like, man, I deserve a half pint. Exactly. And and then and then two uh, weeks two weeks later I'm calling my mom going my heart hurts and exactly. she's like how long have you been drinking I'm like uh, two fifths a day for the last two weeks but my heart's tight you know and and because that's it, where it led a hundred percent of the time a hundred there wasn't a question of what was going to happen I already knew what was going to happen one drink half the half pint gone and after that I'm like this ain't going to be enough and I'd be back at the store to get more um, but it was overwhelmed for me so I found different things that I can do when I'm starting to get that feeling uh, to either shift gears so I don't get any more overwhelmed or I can go do some other things yeah. to get my mind off of that and that's where the, 
photography comes into play, you know, um, that's where the, the different things that I'm working on come. But it was a little bit more difficult during COVID because you didn't have those outlets. Right. You know, I, I couldn't go to your shows. I couldn't, I, so I had to reinvent my photography. Like, you know, which, I mean, in the beginning, it was kind of cool because I got these images and angles and, and content, you know, out of the city that I normally wouldn't have gotten because of the sheer volume of traffic of you know foot traffic you know vehicle traffic and the hustle bustle so um, at the same time that it was you know eerie and you know we as a, a you know species were going through something traumatic you know I, I it's like I had to find some type of beauty in it mm -hmm. I had to make some type of sense sense of it mm -hmm. you know otherwise like you talk about getting overwhelmed I'm like you know I could I could I could have like dug myself a bunker and like, oh my God, the world's gonna end, but I didn't. I chose not to do that. I chose to, you know, um, go out and try to capture those images and, and not only for myself, but you know, I'm I'm very free with my photography. You know, very very few times do I actually make um, money from it, and um, because I don't want to, I don't. I, I mean, there's times I do make money from it, but, but for the most part, I don't because I don't want to. You know, I don't want ever want it to feel like a, a job. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like, if people do commission me, it's because I've, they've studied my work, right? Because I, if you if you if you hire me to do something, that's what you're getting. Study the way that I, I you know, the way I see light, the way I compose things, the way I, you know, everything. Study all kinds of different aspects of my photography, because that's what you're gonna get. Yeah. You know, because so. it it you I think. I know, I don't think, I know if somebody tried to hand you a script and say, this is what I want you to shoot, these images, one, you probably wouldn't take that job. Two, it would lose what I think is one of the most yeah. important things about your photography, and that's your view of the world. If somebody tries to take that away with a script, out the window. And that's the biggest thing I explain to people is I'm not, I'm not a photographer trying to get famous. You know, I, 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 I guess my photography is the same thing we're, we're taught in the program is based on attraction rather than promotion. Mm -hmm. You know, where if people like my work and people like my stuff, I'm, you know, I'll share it. Yep. If not, that's fine. Yeah, but make sure to check it out. You'll see exactly what we're talking about. If you don't have a clue right now, follow the link below, check it out. Um, you know, for me in sobriety, I bring it up often, uh, self-love and I think self-acceptance are, are two of the top for me. Uh, you know, because if we, if we don't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of anybody else. And I think that's an important concept for anybody. You know, when I talk about self-love and, and treating yourself well, I think you need to come first and everything else comes second. And that's even if you have children, if you have whatever, because you have to take care of yourself. It, and that radiates out, you know. I, I believe it helps everything around you from your relationships Absolutely. to uh, your, your profession to whatever it is. Um, I really do believe that um, over, again, I'm going to talk about these last three years a little bit because it's been such a, a, a shift for everybody on the planet. Um, I didn't have to shift too much because a lot of what I do, I can do in my basement. You know, I can write at the computer. I didn't get to skate that much. I did build a quarter pipe in my backyard, but, um, uh, you know, my daily maintenance, my weekly maintenance of sobriety it became talking on the phone to my sober friends. It, it became going online to refuge recovery and catching a meeting here and there. Uh, meditation. I now meditate three times a day because that became very, impo very important to me. Uh, did anything like that um, shift for you? Any kind of maintenance shift for you other than changing what you were pho photographing? Um, and, and that's a big thing, you know, dogs, canines. Canines are a huge part of, you know, and not a lot of people know that that part of it. But you know, canines, I believe, were part of that, you know, intervention back in early, you know, two thousand four, two thousand three, two thousand four. It is, you know, um, because working with canines taught me to exist on a totally different plane, which was a to it's a totally different language, it's a totally different set of behaviors, it's a totally different existence. And so that kind of crushed me too, because you know, you know, canines are owned by humans. Well, now we're on the onset of this pandemic, and nobody knows what's going to happen. 
So uh, all my clients stopped. So that therapeutic value of working with canines was also gone, which was a huge part of my daily maintenance. You know, even I, I could have the worst day in the world and go work with a dog for an hour and it just resets everything because now I'm not caught up in all the excess of being a human. You know, as humans, there's so much excess to our communication, our emotions, all of it. We're, we're, we're very excessive. Where canines are very, they work on energy. You know, you don't have to talk to them. You don't mm-hmm. have to. 90% of what I do with dogs is nonverbal because 90% of what they do is nonverbal. You know, nine times out of ten as humans, we're cued in when we hear that, the bark, some auditory response from our dogs. So I had lost that. So, um, um, I started doing a l- little bit of, you know, a few things on the phone, just kind of reaching out, keeping myself accountable. You know, hey, I'm still here. I'm still alive. Um, I, you know, getting out and, and changing my focus on photography. Um, and then also, I think it was like probably, well, I forget when the first shutdown was. but I It know was um, May 2020. Was it May or April? It might have been April because my, my father actually, the day they shut down southeastern or Michigan, my father actually got COVID like that day. Yeah. He went to the doctor. They're like uh, straight to the hospital. And that's, and when I, that's when I met. I'm, I, I, it's, it's, <laughs> it's such a, a great story, you know, and it, it, you know, my, you know, how I met my wife. Yeah, get into it because we're going to get into it anyway. So let's yeah. start here, man. And, and so I, I originally met. Um, in 2017, when I was doing hardcore cares, um, um, and so I, I had the annual barbecue, which was every July we would do the hardcore cares barbecue, and um, so that's when I originally met her. And at the time I was married, so um, nothing ever became of it. And then um, I had no idea that you know, uh, like she had any feelings for me or anything like that, and so. Um, she had found out that I moved back to Michigan. And so I think it was like early February, she started sending me some messages, commenting on some of my posts and stuff. And so it, it, it was so funny because she would like message me, then I wouldn't hear from her for a week. Then she'd message me, wouldn't hear nothing for a week. So it was like, finally she messaged me on the on March 20th. I'm like, whatever, she's going to message me and then I can hear from her for a week, all of July. But we haven't been in pretty much haven't been apart since March 20th. So, so it was like right before the pandemic hit, you know, we had started talking. And, you know, neither one of us knew what was happening because, you know, just the way we felt about one another, the instant connection, the conversation, the everything, you know, just, and so we're sitting there like, we, har- we barely even know each other. Right. And we're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? How are we going to see each other? And oh my God, if we have to isolate and, so we would literally, I think for the first, like, well, we moved in May 10th is when we moved in together. So from March 20th to, you know, May 10th, the day after Mother's Day of, of 2020, um, it was almost like Romeo and Juliet where, like, you know, we, we had our little spots and we would meet, we would have dinner, we would have lunch. We, would sp- we spent at least a minimum of 30 minutes to an hour together every single day. Outside of like texting and stuff like that, but we, we and, and that's what I mean by we were both the same person, you know. As far as like, we both had you know our, our demons that we were working working through and working past, and and thankfully you know we both had enough um, you know trust and a little bit of that grit, you know, to see things through and to allow one another safe passage. Um, to where, you know, she, she, and she likes to say that, you know, she, she's so grateful for my presence in her life, you know, the, the patience and, and, um, you know, being that person who, uh, the parallels of what we've gone through, what we've endured, there's so much alike, and that's where I was like, this is either going to be a curse or a blessing. Right, right. You know what I mean? And uh, it ended up being a blessing, you know, because we stuck it out, and, we didn't always know why, but we knew, you know, this is this is where I need to be, and so we finally made it over all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, to where <coughs> we kind of gave each other that safe passage. Where okay, I'm letting myself 
down, you know, and truly, truly let somebody care about me. Truly, you know, that vulnerability that, you know, sometimes we talk about, but we don't ever really experience because we're like, oh, it's kind of, you know what it's like? It's like that first time you ever stood on the edge of that half pipe to drop it. Right. The very right. first time. I mean, you're on the ground, that half pipe, you know, that six foot half don't look that big. You're staying on the lip looking down that transition. You're like, man, it looks a lot bigger up here. And you can't explain it to anybody. You can't replicate what it might feel like because it's such a unique experience. And I think that's a wonderful analogy, uh, uh, putting these two things together from dropping in to, to vulnerability because you can't explain to somebody how it's going to feel to be vulnerable. You can't tell them, oh, it feels just like being embarrassed. It doesn't – you can't do that. I, I still remember that that you know, first time it was it was Kevin O'Rourke Kevin O'Rourke's ramp. Um, that start, I think it started out eight feet and got cut down to six. But um, you know, and standing up there and, and just you know wondering you know what what is going to happen, right? You know, and allowing myself getting to that point where I said, you know what, I'm probably going to fall, <laughs> <laughs> and this is probably not going to take the slam, take the <laughs> <Exactly>. slam. <laughs> so then you you take that leap. Yeah. You know, but then sooner or later, you know, your body, your muscle memory kicks in and it's one fluid motion. And, yeah. You know, so it's like, it's, it, that's the way it kind of felt. It's like, you know, it's like, well, I'm either going to do this or I'm not. You know, so it's been a very, um, and, you know, her, her, her issue, you know, not even issues. That, and that's the thing. That's, I, that's one of the things. I don't treat her like she's broken. You know, it's part of who she is the lupus, the uh, scleroderma. And the things she's dealing with, they're not issues. They're not, you know, to me, they're not. I, I don't feel like she's broken. You know, it's just that's part of it. That's part of our life. That's mm -hmm. what we do. You know, it's incorporated into our daily living. Well, I was so stoked uh, a few months back when you, you, you posted a picture of her wearing a Purple Heart shirt yeah. because she embodies exactly what Purple Heart represents. And, and it made so much sense. And to me, it was like this perfect little storm that came together. Because purple is the color for lupus. Uh, you know what I mean? I didn't know that. So it's like every time I send her like a heart emoji, it's purple because that's the color for lupus. And then purple heart. I was just like, I had just seen you, got that t-shirt. <laughs> and so to me, it was such a powerful union of, of you know, you know, supporting your brand, supporting you, but at the same time supporting my wife. And because and a lot of people don't understand that. They don't understand what it takes for her to get up out of bed every day and, and go to the gym. You know, we sit there, healthy people, and like, oh, my God, I got to go to the gym. Try the pain and the, just her body always attacking her, you know. And so <coughs> that's what I would tell her is, like, you know, she, she would ask me sometimes, you know, if I was if I was proud of her. And I'm like, <coughs> you, you getting up and putting your feet on the floor, you know, it's more than most of us endure in a whole day, a lifetime. You know, just her getting up out of bed and deciding <coughs> to, you know, just to put her feet on the floor. That's rad. That is rad, and amazing. And like I said, that divine intervention years ago put you on the planet to be here today, talking yeah. with us talking with you guys and being there for your girl and that's freaking i mean i always talk about the goosebumps on my body because there they are you can see the hair standing up it's it's incredible bill incredible um you know to shift gears just a little bit okay. i want to talk more about um the the four-legged friends that you've been uh helping people get to know even better over the years because i didn't know you were still training dogs yeah I did not know that until today. I wasn't sure because of everything that has gone on the last yeah, few yeah. years. Um, because you have, I who did I see the other day? Uh, uh, Kim Thone. Kim Thone. Yeah, yeah, I saw her the other day, and I'm like, Bill's coming yeah, on the she, show. She's man. good people. She yeah. was actually on uh, when I ran Detroit Billy Course. She was actually on our board. Yeah, and I I did I announced one of the holiday galas yes. one year, and it yep. was her that put those together. And yeah, I yeah, that was uh, that. Um, I think there was like. Um, Three or four different groups there. The the, fund, the big fundraiser out at Detroit Yacht Club. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember. 
And um, and I saw her the other day, mentioned you. She got a big smile on her yeah. face. She said the same thing about you. That's good people. I know. I'm like, I, you think I, I surround myself with jerks, you know? Like, I try to surround myself with good people. But you're still still training dogs. Um, has, has the clientele shifted? Is it coming back? How is that going? Uh, oh, it's, yeah. It, um, and I fought, I fought really hard. I, 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 kept, uh, uh, I kept in touch with my clients, my client base. I would, um, you know, sometimes I would do Skype, you know, like di highly discounted, like half price, you know, maybe 30% or whatever, no like charge. But I wanted to, you know, I worked really hard on client retention. Plus I knew that, you know, dogs were going to be, you know, I don't want to say suffering, but, you know, I mean, dogs depend on us so much. And, you know, we're going through a pandemic and, you know, when we check out mentally on our well, and the fear resonates. You talked about yeah, like vibration absolutely. and how you don't even have to talk. I see that with my animals. We have a, a Shepherd Doberman mix that was rescued from Texas, and my little black cat yeah, Penny. I've seen a picture of it. Oh, they're beautiful, but they know my vibration. They know when I need a little snuggling. They know when I, you know, they definitely know the vibration. And I'm sure the fear and the anxiety and everything else that that it's was transfers, and we don't realize how sensitive our animals are. Mm -hmm. You know, and um. It, I, I knew uh, also a lot of people um, were getting, you know, adopting canines for companions because now we've lost all our social interaction. We can't mm -hmm. go to bars. We can't go to clubs. We can't go to, uh, you know, all these events that we used to be able to go to because of, you know, obviously the pandemic. So um, I, I, had to be, I had to be creative, you know, like instead of, you know, uh, in the warmer months, we would just work outside. Once everybody realized, no, you, if I touch your dog, you're not going to get it because I touched your dog. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because there was that, oh, you know. Right. So, I mean, it, it, it was kind of hit and miss. And, you know, um, it, it was rough. Some very, very meager living. <laughs> you know, uh, but it, it all worked out. And that's, you know, part of it was, you know, me, me just saying to myself, not giving into the fear, not giving in that um, how I would normally just give up on myself. That self-love you talk about, you know, I, I said I need this. And, and you know, I, I set this goal for myself. And I need, I need to, for once in myself, like being a yes man, it's like all those things I do for other people, I need to turn that inwardly and I need to do for me right now. Mm -hmm. And that is a, a very powerful statement that you made because I finally realized that, you know, if I'm selfish in a healthy way, meaning that I take care of myself first, everybody else and everything else that surrounds me is going to benefit from it. From me, you know, uh, allowing myself the things that make me a good person, like going out and doing my photography, you know, working with dogs and doing the things that, you know, uh, bring me joy. Because then people are like, oh, man, I love being around them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as opposed to people like, really you know and I, I've just I've always been that way because you know I just certain things bring me success and once I feel like you know someone is putting me into a box creatively I shut down mentally you know and I, I feel like I become robotic where I'm just like punching a clock and going through the motions mm -hmm. and so I mean that was when I went through my divorce in Texas you know that was I had there was no there was no thought process as far as where I needed to be and you know as I you know was saying goodbye to all my friends and stuff in Texas I was like I'm, I, I need my people and my people are in Detroit you know and I knew that I was going to be able to achieve those things here the photography the mu the music contacts um, the canine contacts you know all the rescues all the all the people I had worked with all the people that were familiar with you know you know you know work with canines you know and it, it picked up pretty quick and it was like at the time that you know COVID hit at that time I had 15 clients and then COVID hit and then it just right you know it took me a good probably eight months to get back up to like 10 clients where now it's very consistent you know where now is it just pit bulls or any any breed no, of dog and and a lot of people ask me that you know um like I started out 
in the very early infancy of you know the rescue Maine, why I chose back then it was like pretty much strictly American pit bull terriers, simply because you know back then there was no rescue transfers, there wasn't all this you know glitz and glamour you know that there is now. It was very you know if the owners didn't redeem the dogs, the dogs got put down. So I was like, mm, that didn't it just didn't sit right with me. Mm-hmm. So that is why I chose that breed back then. But then, as the years went on, so many so many breeds were being misidentified. Like anything with a blocky head and muscular was a was this umbrella term, right? Pit bull. You know, it came very very generic and very watered down. So that's when, when I, it was when I actually when I moved back to Detroit in 2011, that I started Detroit Bully Corps. to like bully breeds, you know, because there were so many dogs being misidentified, you know, as American, you know, to me, when I heard the word pit bull, it was American pit bull terrier, and that was it, you know, but then you have all these other breeds that were being misidentified and mistaken, and, you know, all the hysteria, so, but no, as far as like the, the, the private training and the private sector, from a chihuahua to an English mastiff, and everything in between, because they're all dogs. You ever see They're all dogs? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you say Chihuahua yeah. to, to Mastiff. I actually saw a um, a pit bull Chihuahua. Oh, I'm blown. I've seen pit bull dogs, and, and it was a, <laughs> a yeah. That's the craziest thing. This little Chihuahua body, yeah, with a freaking pit bull oh, head. It, it's like, how does it even support the head? <laughs> you think of how it was made. I'm like, oh. No, I can't get that out of my head. Like, I hope the female was the pit bull. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, um, you know, if folks, if, if uh, any of our viewers want to reach out to you as far as getting uh, your expertise on training their dogs, what is the best way to do that? Uh, the best way would be to go to uh, DBC, letter K, number nine, dot com. So DBC, K, letter K, nine, dot com. If you are either going to acquire a new dog, if you have a young dog that's unruly, oh, any yeah. age dog? Anything from, because you know, I have that background as well in rescue. So uh, proper decompression techniques to puppy kindergarten, to dogs that are dealing with reactivity, aggression, uh, anything in between. I've seen it. I worked with canines for 20 years, coming out of just about any situation you could, you could even imagine. So dealing with all the different behaviors and um yeah, anything from you know choosing the right dog to fit your lifestyle, um, to people that have existing canines, how to choose a, how to choose a canine to bring into your home, because a lot of times what happens, and I explain it this way, it would be like if we were all in arranged relationships, because now our dogs are losing that right of natural selection, ah. because we're going to the pound or going and getting a puppy and just saying, you're gonna live with this dog. And you're gonna make it work, and it doesn't always work that way. Right, that's so a then, great way to look at it. So then I'll explain to some of my clients. Imagine that you guys had no choice; you guys were just put together in the relationship. Now make it work. Right. That's a lot of times what happens to our dogs. Yeah, our dog. She came in. Finny was already like running the house. Little black cat. He's got all his claws. <laughs> they get along very well, but uh, but you know who runs the show. Um, interesting she's a rescue and during covid i built a little quarter pipe because we couldn't skate the skate parks and at the bottom you know i had a piece of metal and as soon as my skateboard wheels hit i only rode the ramp one time as soon as my skateboard wheels hit that metal she jumped the fence like there was a, a weird sound and it was her crying and i it didn't sound like her at all i stopped i'm like what is that sound I go around the corner. She ain't stopping. She's, she's a 100-pound dog, 97 pounds. Over the fence, gone. Wouldn't even answer to her name, nothing. Found her about a mile away. Uh, no no problems. The neighbor saw what was going on, jumped in the car, found her. But I'm like, it's something with that sound with metal. When we load the dishwasher, if the pans are clanking together, she's getting better. But early on, she would go immediately upstairs under the bed. And um, it's, it's interesting um, and you have to be empathetic to when you, if you rescue an animal, 
what those little things might be. And she she now, she'll walk up and sniff my skateboard. She used to, uh, like, yeah, go yeah. the other way yeah, if I had yeah. it in my hand. Absolutely. Um, but she is such a wonderful dog, and, and we're fortunate. Um, her and the cat go outside like dogs. The cat's developing dog, you know, <laughs> tendencies. The dog is developing cat tendencies. Yeah, and, and they're probably both laughing at us. Yeah, right? totally. Like, to- can you believe these are the ones holding the leash? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, animals are so important. Through my recovery, uh, through my toughest times, you know, Finney knew, my black cat knew. He, he knew I wasn't feeling good, and, and we have a very special bond because we've been through it together. He was with me for most of it. And, uh, and it's magic what you get to do in, in helping, um, you know, I mean, ultimately, if, if they're not trained, you know, it's a free-for-all. And that ended up the, the humans end up not liking them, and yeah. they never gave them an opportunity to, su- to succeed. Well, and that's the way I look at it. I look at what I'm doing now as a, a proactive approach to what I used to do. Because yeah. the, the more privately owned canines, they get the proper training. And not only canines. But um, humans, you know, and and because that's the way I kind of look at my, I don't even like using the word trainer, but that's the word that people resonate with. Right. You know, to me, I I feel like I'm more of like an intermediary Mm -hmm. and uh, a translator. So I've spent all this time with canines, understanding their behavior and learning from them and and reading everything I can read, having a mentor that I'm accountable to. but then going in and then translating that behavior into like human metaphor so that the humans understand, oh, that's what my dog is saying to me. You know what I mean? So, it, it, and it's not about us being superior. It's more about us being, you know, I'm a human, you're a dog, and it's my job to be uh, an efficient guide so that you can safely live in this human world that doesn't even make sense to me half the time. Right. I can imagine how confusing it is for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we just, we, we, I become a translator, you know, to just empower the human, you know, go in, figure out what the dog is saying. We have our conversation. We work things out. Then the owners start to build confidence because they see their dog like, oh, my God, he can do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So then the humans start to, to gain that confidence. So then they become open to learning and, and absorbing and, and looking at their canines on a new on a new plane. And, you know, we become uh, uh, connected on that level. You know? Yeah. And then there's a far less percentage of that dog ending up on the street, in a rescue, in a shelter, you know. So. Yeah, the most amazing dog, one of the most amazing dogs I ever saw. I had him, uh, a, uh, a friend on the show a while ago, and this dog could smell red dye number four or something. Uh-huh. The little girl was allergic to it. The dog oh, okay. could smell it. Okay. And the, she, they brought the dog in studio. Yeah. And she's like, you know, put this down, piece of food or something. And the dog would knock it out of your hand if it had oh. red dye number whatever. If it didn't, the dog would look you straight in the eyes. Okay. And I'm like, that's that's incredible. Her, her young daughter, when she got to be four or five years old, was going to have to go out in the real world. And she was allergic to this, which is in so many products and she found a dog, was so impressed that she started like a dog training facility or something. I can't remember the name of it. Um, But that little dog, I was like, that's blown away. I was blown away by that. And I've heard like dogs can smell cancer. They can smell different things in the blood, all these weird kind of things. I don't know much about it, but that red dye thing like threw me for a loop. It's like a running joke with me. It's like three or four dogs sniff a certain area on me in the same day. I'm like, oh, great cancer do i need you know what i mean <laughs> because it is it's just they're, they're they're so in tune with things on a different plane than we are yeah you know, their sense of smell their sense their senses overall you know, so. incredible incredible bill you're incredible thank you so much for coming on the show absolutely, dude like absolutely. i i am i've thoroughly enjoyed myself i know you guys have enjoyed yourself uh somebody's watching and they are either thinking about getting sober. Maybe they've been sober a little while. You have any little nugget of wisdom that you could share that you haven't already shared? Because I hope you guys are taking notes, man. We covered a lot here, and I hope you guys are taking notes. Any little nugget. I'd... The, the biggest thing I can share is the biggest thing that my sponsor shared with me is you know, when we get into that rabbit hole and we get into that ball of chaos, put your phone down. 
turn everything off, get a pen, a pencil, a piece of paper, and write it down. Because then you're accountable. You're being accountable. You're seeing it. Instead of like sitting there getting lost on Facebook or trying to, you know, um, distract yourself, put pen to paper and write out what is happening, like a gratitude list, you know, because then you can see it. It's tangible. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of getting lost on our phone, getting lost in, you know, even, you know, I'm going to go take a drive, you know, but then we, then we haven't dealt or taken, you know, account. Of, of what's actually about our life. So, you know, just allow yourself the dignity to, to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Whether you're getting sober or not, you're going to make mistakes. So have a little bit of patience with yourself. Yeah, yeah. Have patience with yourself. Well, dude, you're welcome here anytime. We oh, might I have to it. do like a, 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 a whole <laughs> – we might have to do another a side show because you talked so much about accountability, personal accountability, and that's one of my soapbox. Like I talk about it a lot um, in the books that I've written, in the different things that I've done. I think personal accountability is at an all-time low, and we might have to start, start another show here at Woodward Sports, man. That that was awesome, and awesome. Last thing I'm gonna. That's one thing I love about my wife. She has no problem calling me on my shit. Yeah, and I need that. I need that in my life. I don't need people patting me on the back. I need people that are willing to hold me accountable. Yeah. I need it. Definitely. So once again, I'll thank you, brother, for coming in. Uh, well, I'm it. sure we're going to do it again yeah. down the road. And thank you, you guys, man. Uh, without you, I wouldn't even do a show. The reason I do the drop-in, bring you the most amazing guests on the planet, is it, it's all for you. So thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure... Uh, to, to check out Bill's photography. If you're looking for a trainer for your dog, if you know somebody else who needs a trainer, you go over to their house, their dog's unruly, you got the guy who can help them out. So make sure to click the links, like, follow, share, all that kind of good stuff. But thank you once again for being here. Bill, love you, brother. Appreciate it, brother. This is Bill. I am Gerald, and this is The Drop-In. <laughs>